Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of John this morning, the book of John in chapter number one, John chapter one. If you'll take your Bible and turn there with me, John chapter 1, and hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word, and I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. So go to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter number 1. So that's the big number 1 right across the top of the page. And if you found your place, and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 1. And we're going to read verse number 10, verse number 11, verse number 12. This morning for our scripture reading, John chapter number 1. And this passage this morning is really about the greatest invitation ever extended. The greatest invitation that has ever been extended. We've all been, I'm certain, in a situation where... We were invited to some event, and we had no idea why we had been invited to such an event. We were, were humbled to be invited. How many have ever received an invitation to some event, and you're wondering, why am I even at this thing, right? Man, this, these people thought of me, of all the people to think of, they thought of me. We've all been in, in situations like that. We've all also been in situations where perhaps we weren't invited to an event that we thought we should have been invited to. How many of you have a situation like that? We weren't humbled. We were resentful. This has happened to me on several occasions. I remember all of them. (laughs) One in particular... In fourth grade, you say, Pastor, that's a long time ago. I know, I, I am a, I'm a resentful person. I, I, I remember there was this girl named Amy. I'll spare you her last name. So as you do not look her up on Facebook. And she, she was the one for me, okay? Now, I'm, I'm happily married to Amanda for 22 years. We've already talked this through, Okay. But in fourth grade, I knew I was going to marry that girl, right? In fact, I even asked her that. Will you marry me? She said, yes. I rolled around to her fourth grade party. And every fourth grader got invited except me. It was the end of the relationship right there. I was expecting a little more sympathy. There wasn't, let me try that again. Every fourth grader got invited except me. That's, that's That's a lot better. That's what I was after this morning. She said I was, uh, I was too hyperactive for her birthday party. Can you imagine such a thing? We, we, re- we remember invitations. We, we remember when we don't receive an invitation. The passage in front of us is Jesus' invitation. It's the greatest invitation in all the world. Look look at verse 10. He, so so we've got to do a little work here. The, The he there is Jesus, all right? So Jesus was in the world and the world was made by him 
and the world knew him not. And Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, in our text, two very different responses to Jesus' invitation. Response number one, you reject it. Response number two, you receive him. And what I want to ask you this morning is how have you responded to Jesus' invitation? Have you rejected him? Or have you received him? Our Heavenly Father, use your word to help us to understand how we should respond to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Whether you have been going to church your whole life, or whether this is the very first time you've ever stepped foot inside of a church, I want you to think of what Jesus' invitation to you is, and I want you to think how you have responded to it. You can either receive Jesus as your Savior, he can give you the power, the Bible says, to become the sons of God, bring you into the family of God, or you can have rejected him. I wonder what your response has been, and I wonder what your response will be. And notice, there are two things in particular about those who have rejected Jesus. They're the first point and the second point in your outline that you have in your bulletin. Notice, that when we reject Jesus, we are unwilling to recognize Jesus in the world. And when we reject Jesus, we are unwilling to accept Jesus into our lives. So, so notice, Jesus was unrecognized in the world. This is verse number 10. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. I think in our cultural moment, you, you, you must realize how, how this is true for us. How that there are those who must work to not recognize what Jesus has done. In, in the middle of a month where we are all taking holiday breaks, the time off work, time away from school, where essentially the whole world is, is stopping to celebrate one particular day. And yet there are those who are going to great lengths not to recognize what all the world is celebrating. If, if the whole world is celebrating this moment, going to such great lengths to celebrate a particular day, a, a rational person would be asking themselves, 
Well, what's the big deal about Christmas? What's the big deal about Christmas? Why are we spending so much energy and effort and time? Why are we having such a celebration? Why are we giving such gifts? Why are we putting up such elaborate lights on our houses? What is all the spectacle for? And yet there are many people in our day who just like in John's day, they were unwilling to recognize why Jesus has come, what Jesus had accomplished, and the purpose for which God has sent Jesus into the world. Notice, he was in the world. Jesus came into our world. Now, remind yourself, we're talking about the one who is timeless. We're talking about the one who was eternal. We're talking about the one who was with God. We're talking about the one who was God. We're talking about the one who is still God. He came into our world. Now, you think about it for a second. How excited would you be if you heard that some famous person had moved into your neighborhood? How excited would you be if you heard that some famous person was, was renting the office space next to yours? How, how far out of the way would you go in order to have a passing encounter with this famous person? You Listen, he, God, who is timeless, who is eternal, came into our world. That should be a really big deal. That should be a huge event. It, it seems like this is the kind of thing that we should be paying close attention to. That the person who existed before the world ever was, the person who existed before you and I ever were, the person who made the world in which you and I occupy, the one who the Bible teaches us even made us ourselves, he came into the world. Notice the phrase, he came into the world and the world was made by him. Paul says this same idea in this way, that all things were made by him and from him and for him and to him. That everything that was made, everything that is, it all exists for the glory of our God. And nothing in the universe exists for the sake of itself. Everything, from the, from the bottom of the ocean to the top of the mountain, from the smallest particle to the brightest star, from the most boring subjects in school to the most fascinating details in science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful animal. Everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of our God more fully known. It all exists to glorify God, including you and me. 
That we exist to glorify the God who made us. That we look at the world around us and we, like the psalmist, must conclude, what is man? What are we that God would be mindful of us? How tiny and insignificant and frail are you and I. And yet God in his fullness, in his majesty, in his power, in his greatness, in his awesomeness, that God would look on you and me and so love us that he would send his son into the world to die on the cross for our sin. He came into his own, or rather he was in the world The world was made by him. Notice, the world knew him not. They chose to not recognize him. They were unwilling to recognize who he was. They were unwilling to hear what he had to say. They were unwilling to believe in what he had come to do. They were unwilling to recognize the greatest gift ever given God wrapped in human flesh. And this is the the characteristics of those who have rejected him in that they are unwilling to recognize how God is moving in and throughout their lives. They're unwilling to receive the gift that he has given to them. And I wonder this morning for you and for me where perhaps you and I are Christians. Maybe we've put our faith and trust in Jesus and yet are we the same in that we are unwilling to recognize the way in which God is at work in our lives? Rejecting the way that God is at work. Unwilling to recognize his glory. Unwilling to recognize his greatness. Unwilling to recognize the great love wherewith he has loved us. Do you recognize the way in which God is at work in your life? Oh, this this Christmas season, let us let us not let us not miss the way in which God is at work in your life. The way in which God is taking all of the things in your life and he is making them. He's creating them to be good for you. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to the purpose of God. A God who began a good work in you, he will complete it. He will finish it. Listen, friend, God is at Work in a thousand ways, in a thousand different ways. God is at work in your heart and in your life. And you and I, as his people, have an opportunity to respond to this. That we will either be like those who have rejected him and that we are unwilling to recognize God working in us. Or we will be like those in this text who, who see the way in which God is working and they recognize it and in response. Response, they turn the way in which God is working in their life back to glory for him. God, work in me. God, work in me. They were unwilling to, to recognize. They, Jesus was unrecognized. Number two, Jesus was unwelcome. Look at verse 11. That Jesus, or he, 
came into his own, and his own received him not. From Adam to Abel, the world rejected God. From Abel to the flood, the world rejected God. From Abraham to Saul, the world rejected God. From from David to Malachi, the, the world rejected God. From Luke chapter 2 to Romans chapter 1, the world rejected God. And from Romans chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, the Bible teaches us the world rejects God. They have rejected him. All of us were people that God had created. All of us are people that God had rightfully owned by creation. And yet, the Bible teaches us that we have rejected him, that that we have scorned him, that we have ignored him, that we've turned away from him. That all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And so the Lord laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. Now, all of us are like those that we find in the pages of Scripture in that we do not want a Lord. We do not want a God. Instead, we think we should be God ourselves. We don't want a Lord. We want to be Lord. And somehow we thought that we could, we could commandeer creation, that we could use all that God had created and we could use it for ourselves in the way in which we so desired. And when God insisted to you and to me that he is Lord, that he is God, that is his creation, that it all belongs to him, then our resistance became so hostile toward him that we rejected him by way of crucifying him on the cross. He came into his own, his own received him not. They rejected him to the point at which they crucified him on the cross. So long as he was feeding their bellies, he would, they were happy to have him. So long as he was performing miracles for them, they were happy to have him. But the moment he called them to repent of their sin, to see the wickedness of their sin, to turn from their sin and to believe wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment he called them to that. They they rejected him, the Bible says. And in case you're wondering if you're arguing with yourself right now saying, well, if I were there, I would not have crucified Jesus. you, you You only say that because you have not yet been pushed to consider what it really means for him to be Lord of your life. That when his will collides with your will, he wins. He is the Lord. It's his own. And yet the Bible says they would not receive him. Look at verse 11. And his own Received him not. They locked him out of his own house. That's the idea. He came to his own house. And they locked him out. Me and my boys were 
few years ago, we were playing in the backyard. I said, last one to the house is the rotten egg. We take off running. As we're running, I trip and fall on a toy that I'm certain they left in the backyard. They get to the house first. And when they got to the house first, they closed the back door and they locked it. I come to the door, I grab the door, and it's locked. I said, turn the handle, say, hey, 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 knock on the door, open the door. And these disrespectful, little, rebellious children who take after their mother, <laughs> they said this, nah, 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 nah. I said, open the door now. Nah, 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 nah. Open the door. How many of your children, just like 17 times before they actually hear anything? Okay, just me, all right. I said, open the door. They said, nah, you're locked out. We're going to eat all the cookies. We're going to drink all the soda. We can do whatever we want. Ah. I said, open the door. I'm not playing this time, okay? Open the door. Nah. I said, fine. So I started walking around the house. But these little kids are smart. They take off running to the front door and they lock the front door. I grabbed the front door, it's locked. They locked me out of my own house. I don't know how long it was. It felt like 45 minutes. And you have no idea how mad I was. The, the amount of peace offerings that were laid at the door when the door was finally unlocked. Please, Dad, please. He came to his own house and they locked him out. He came into his own and they rejected him. They rejected him to the point of crucifixion on the cross. And this is the good news that's found in Jesus that although he laid his life down on the cross for us, the Bible says that three days later Jesus rose from the dead. That although he died, he lives. And in living, notice what he does, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. To receive Christ means that you welcome him into your life. John, later on in the gospel, defines receiving Christ as believing on him. Believe, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And John goes to say it like this, but as many as received him. So, so those that believe him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them. So what are we believing on? When we say that we are believing in Jesus, what are we saying? We are believing on his name. Look at the end of the verse. Believe on his name. So believe on his name means it's a reference to all that Jesus has done. To all that Jesus has said he would do. Believe on him. It's not simply knowing about Jesus. Even the devils know about Jesus. It's not just simply knowing what time of the year he was born or the, the place he was born. It's not being able to simply pass the Christmas quiz. 
No, believe on him. Accept all that he has said to be true about himself and accept what he has said to be true about you. Believe on his name. All that he did when he died on the cross. All that he did when he rose from the grave. All that he currently does for you right now as he mediates, as he's this intercessor for you between you and God the Father. Believe on his name. Stop believing on your own merit. Stop believing in your own good works. Stop believing in your own religiosity. Stop relying on yourself and believe, rely, trust, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All great stories start with a once upon a time. So, so once upon a time, there was this beautiful girl named Amanda Marie Epperson. And the greatest day of her life was when Epperson was changed to Delaney. Okay, that's probably not true, but for sake of the story, it'll be true. At 22 years ago, Amanda took my name. So all that was mine, which wasn't a lot, became hers. The two of us became one. This is what it means to believe on his name, to take his name so that when you became a Christian, you took the name of God for yourself so that what was true of him was true of you. What he owned became yours. Paul says that you and I, when we believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, became inheritors of the divine promise. Peter says we were beneficiaries of his divine nature, that all the promises of God were yes and amen when we believed on his name. A salvation is found when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. Can you say this morning that you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you say this morning that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did, and all that he said, and all that he accomplished, you are claiming for yourself at the invitation that he has extended to you and to me. And John says in the text, verse number 12, that when we believe on him, he gives us the power, literally the word power there, it's authority or it's the right he gives us the power, the authority, the right to become the sons of God. It, it, it's our legitimate claim. So, so, so much like a, a birth certificate proves that you are a child of your natural father, when you put your faith 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believed on Jesus, you were given a spiritual birth certificate. And this is your claim. This is your right. This proves that you are a child of God. He gave the power to become the sons of God. Literally the children of God. What that means is that there are some people who are God's children. There are some people who are not God's children. And there are those who have believed on Jesus and have been given the power to become the sons of God. They have received that invitation. And there are some who have rejected that invitation. They are not inheritors of the divine promise. They are not beneficiaries of the divine nature. The promises of God are not yes and amen. Life and eternal joy and a home in heaven do not await them, but judgment and wrath and eternal separation from God in hell is what awaits because they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in Christ is recognizing who he is, accepting what he has done. And John says this entitles us to become the children of God. And right now you are faced with a choice, just as they were in John's day. To believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, or to refuse and to reject him as your Savior. And those who reject him are marked in that they treat Jesus as unwelcome to lock him out of his own house. They unrecognize him. They're not willing to recognize him. And those who have received Jesus as their Savior have a response just the same. Notice it's twofold. Number one, there's first a reception. But there's second, and I want you to listen very carefully, there's a reflection. What does it mean that you and I have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that he has made us his children? What does it mean that his power has flexed itself in our lives And he has taken us away from our guilt and sin and shame. And he has given us his mercy, his grace, and his love. How should you, as a Christian, respond to that? Well, I think it's three ways, just in closing, write them down. First, we should respond with humility. We should respond with humility. That light brings life. That's what John says. Light brings life. The process is called photosynthesis. John didn't know what that word was, but he saw its effect. The light brings life. That whatever you are not, whatever you need, whatever you lack, whatever you didn't get from your parents or your teacher or your coach or your boss, 
whatever you're not getting from someone in your life right now, you have that in Christ. You say, well, things are just empty feeling. And yet Christ says he is the fulfillment, the satisfaction of all that we need. You say, well, well I, feel, I, feel dis, I feel deficient. Well, Paul says that God's grace causes us to feel sufficient. You say, well, I'm doubtful. Well, the, the word of God comes to us and it fuels our heart toward faith. You say, well, well I'm, so, I'm so sinful. And God's word and his spirit reminds us that although we are faithless, God is faithful. And although we are sinful, God is gracious. You say, well, I'm weak. And the word of God reminds us that God is strong. And Jesus, this is what he produces in us. Humility. So knowing that Jesus fulfills all of these things for us, he satisfies, he makes strong, he's faithful, he's gracious, he's patient, he's loving. Knowing all of that about him produces in us a humility that Christians should not be running around bragging about themselves, boasting in how great they are, flexing their own accomplishments, our own awesomeness. No, no, no. You know why Christians don't do that? Because Christians among all people know it's not us. It's him. It's not me. It's him. Any good in me is on account of his goodness at work in me. That's what a Christian understands. And that produces humility in us. How should we respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ? What should we reflect on? Humility, second, holiness. You know another thing that light does when it comes? Light dispels darkness. When you turn the lights on, you can see things. You can avoid dangers. Which is why we have light. You should walk in the light. That's what John says. One of the terrible things about getting older is that you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to go use the restroom. I got up last night, I had to use the restroom. It was really late. I don't even know what time it was. I'm stumbling into the restroom. As I turn into the, into the, 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 the master bath, I, I didn't realize it, but there was a, I mean, I've seen it before. I don't know why I didn't think about it in the middle of the night, but there's a, the, the little wall right where the, the toilet sits on the other side. It's protruding out, and I just take my toe and stub my toe, my pinky toe, right on that thing. It's so hard. I'm like, ah! So I go, ah! I hear Amanda go, are you okay? What are you doing? I said, my toe is broken. Have you no mercy? She says, I'm sleeping. Be quiet. The light dispels the darkness. It shows us the dangers. 
helps us from stubbing our toes. Knowing that Christ has come into this world, what should it produce in us? Humility. Holiness. So we can navigate the circumstances of our life. So that we walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. We mortify the deeds of the flesh. We have a light. It shows us what things we should avoid. It shows us what things we should do. It shows us the attitudes we should have. It shows us the attitudes we should not have. It leads us in the way that we ought to go. Humility, holiness, last one, hope. We should respond to the light coming into the darkness with hope. C.S. Lewis says, in the dark, everything looks the same. It's only in the light that there is a distinctiveness and a uniqueness that is revealed. The light gives us hope. Everything in our lives is not just mundane. We don't just go about another day. We don't simply exist for the sake of existing. We aren't purposeless. We aren't wandering. We have a hope. We have a home that's eternal. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. We have a place which is not here, but that is, be, that is being prepared for us by Christ himself. It fills us with hope. That on the darkest day of your life, Christmas reminds us we have a hope. We have a God who loves us, sent his son for us. And if you have received him as your savior, his spirit lives in us, which produces humility, Holiness infills our mundane lives with hope. It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. You say, Pastor, what's the meaning then? What's the purpose? Well, Paul says it like this, that in whatsoever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, whether you open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or whether you open Christmas presents on Christmas morning, whether you stay here or travel afar, that whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. For the glory of God. For the Christian, when we live our lives for the glory of God, nothing is lost, nothing is wasted. God sees, God knows, God rewards, God is faithful. No one around you might see it. No one around you may say thank you. No one around you may have a kind word in response. But God is faithful.